Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema, the podcast that is three strong today. I am your host, my name is Tosin, and I am based up in the... Well, I'm based in the Commonwealth City, quite close to the Commonwealth City. So the Commonwealth Games are kicking off around about half an hour from my house. And with the current cost of living crisis, I cannot afford a ticket to go. So, <laughs> but uh, that is me. And joining me, as always, on the Isle of Wight is Sharon Bolland. Hello. And joining me in Bournemouth? The Isle of Wight. Oh, rubbish. In the Isle of Wight this week, <laughs> is, <laughs> it's Sean Harris. How are you guys Hi, yeah. doing? Hi, yeah. Right. Uh, so this week, I mean, Sharon, you have to head off quite quickly. So you're not going to be with us for the full thing. You're, you're, so we're going to try and be a little bit disciplined here and not just prattle on forever. Um, uh, but what usually happens, for those of you who might never listen to us before, is that we go to the cinema and we see three things in the cinema. Oh, well, usually we see as many things as they will let us see in the cinema, depending on what's actually available. But we usually see, we usually manage about three. We see things, three things in the cinema, see three things at home on streaming platforms. We rate them all out of five, and then we decide at the end of it, where has the money been better spent this week? Has it been better spent on Netflix or has it been better spent in cinema? Um, so, um, with that, I know that this week we only really had one thing possible to catch in the cinema because I thought they were bring, they're releasing more stuff, but they're still drip feeding. I thought it was supposed to be summer, yeah. but no, yeah, they're not, they're it. not releasing a film every week. What is going yeah. on? And, uh, yeah. So we only really had one thing in the cinema to see this week, which was where the crawdads, where the crawdads sing. Is yes. that, is that correct? That's, that's correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. That is Okay, so seeing as that's the only thing that we have to see in cinema and that the both of you have seen it and that Sharon has to head off quickly, let's not waste any time. Let's get into it. Let's go. Go. Tell me. What the core dancing? What is this about? And is it worth my time because I could make it to the cinema this week? Been chained to a desk. Well, it's based on a best-selling book from about four years ago, Where the Core Sing, um, by Delia Owens, I think her name is. Uh, basically, it's about a young girl called Kaya who is a called the Swamp girl on oh, the marsh girl because basically she's been raised in her family were once wealthy and came down in the world and basically over generations they have um their, their circumstances become reduced and they now live on the edge of a marsh on the carolina coast and she's lived there in this shack with her mum and dad and her four mm -hmm. siblings and then one day, when she's a very small child, when she's like eight years old, her mother leaves. And then one by one, her all her brothers and her sisters leave her. So she's left alone with her, her dad. He's a drunk and he's violent and he's abusive. But he can be nice when he's sober, but he's rarely nice. And so as a small child, she learns how to make herself invisible around him, to make him not to anger him and she starts to learn quite early on you know where, where all her siblings leave so she starts to, le to learn how to cook how to look after herself and how to get by and then one day basically her dad disappears as well so at the age of sort of nine or ten she's left on her own on a shack on the marsh on the edge of the town and basically she is just abandoned by everyone and so she starts to basically forge her own way. She starts to make a living by picking mussels and selling them to the local shop. She starts to get an interest in the marsh. 
and is fascinated by all the wildlife around her. Then you fast forward 10 years and um, you get this like a love triangle almost. She's sort of, there's a boy she knew when she was a child who was one of the only people, really one of the few people who was friendly towards her, a guy called Tate. And she sort of falls in love with him when she's a teenager. And he sees basically the difference between how she lives and how he lives is so vast that he leaves her. And then she falls in with this ne'er-do-well called Chase, who's a little bit of a ladies' man, is a little bit of a player in the area. And one day he is, is found dead under slightly mysterious circumstances and all eyes basically turn to her. Yeah. And then film is basically about what happened next. All right. Okay, cool. So that is a setup. And I'm guessing that to go further would be to spoil stuff. And yeah, yeah that, uh, that's what I would imagine. To go further is to spoil stuff. So um, let's go over to Sean. Sean, what did you think of this? Okay, what did I think of this? Well, I thought it started off um, really good. I, I, I was was quite intrigued by the the whole thing, um, and yeah, that was. And then it, it got a bit. I mean, maybe I'm not so smulchy. You know what I mean? I'm not into the smulchy stuff so much. The old lovey dovey stuff. So that was sort of in the middle bit. It was a bit, you know, because they kept having these these um, flashbacks or whatever they what, what do they call them in movies where they go retro things where they, what's happened in the past and all this sort of thing. So I found some of that sometimes going on a little bit too much, but. I should imagine if you like schmaltzy stuff, it's it's lovely. I did, which I was so pleased of. I'm pretty sure Sharon probably did. I picked up on the whole thing pretty, pretty early about or, or what I thought. I was it was just certain things in the movie that I picked up on, which because there you, you know, you it's one of these things. There's a lot of a lot of people who could have, a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of people with, it's like these who done it's like there's a lot of people with motives to actually do the deed and um but it was I, I would say sort of when when the uh there's one scene there's one scene where i think really really about halfway through maybe which really really possibly gives the game away but it's still intriguing towards the end so yeah i mean yeah it was quite a good movie it was quite long i think though it was fairly fairly yeah, long movie long. but i do like i i did think i did enjoy the acting i thought the acting was particularly good um i always like what's the name of the actor who played the the lawyer sharon because i always like him he's sort of one of those underrated david actors. david Stratham. david Stratham, that's it because he's in like you know memphis yeah. bell and all those and he plays a really sort of he's always under the radar but he plays some he's played it he's been in some great movies been in some great movies so on the good whole night and good luck yes 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 that's a great one that's a great one so, so yeah, I quite enjoyed this. As I say, the middle bit, the smulchy bits went on a bit, but that's all part of the film. That's all to build up the, the, you know, the who could have, who did have, who might have, you know what I mean? So, so I can understand why that's got to be in there like that. And the scenery was pretty nice. So yeah, on the whole, a pretty good, pretty good movie. I don't know what Sharon's thoughts were. All right, so so you you were like, good, give me the mystery, give me the court, court your room stuff, yeah. leave the schmaltz. Sharon, what did you think? Yeah, I liked it. I have read the book, so that um, you obviously get more insight when you've read the book, and obviously mm. you, is, is it, the book that aren't aren't there in the film. Well, this this is the thing. I think we were talking. I'm not sure whether it was last week or the week before, but I was saying as how. I think it's impossible for a film adaptation of a book to be as good as the book. That that's just that's just and so 
So I, I was actually interested because I've been hearing what people have been saying about this thing and compared to the people who've read the book and people who haven't read the book. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because obviously in the book, there's lots of poetry, there's lots of imagery and symbolism, and they've tried to include some of that. Um, but obviously when in a film, it's a bit more explicit. So obviously when they say something, you're like, it's a clue. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the book, it's more sort of breadcrumby, but I do think there's actually a little bit of signposting. If, yes. as like Sean and I are, we, we and, and you toast, we watched films for years and we like films and you can you pick up on imagery so like we've said before haven't we if there's if they show you a gun in the first <laughs> yeah 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 you know someone's going to get shot by the end of the film because it wouldn't be there if it's not relevant so certain scenes and certain <laughs> yeah exactly about nature yeah. and about the environment and um, because it's actually referenced you think that's going to be how that's going to be relevant because uh, why would they put it in there it's not I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what one of my biggest words is where you have a fight scene between two people and there's a window that keeps showing up in the shot in the background you're like someone's going through that window yeah 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 you're like oh it's a horror movie and someone is walking around with their back to a window you're like someone's coming through that window to grab you you know this why why did they keep putting these in films <laughs> so there's some yeah. scenes and there's some imagery some of the paintings on the wall you're thinking because hmm. she's like, she becomes an artist and as someone who's like fascinated by the marsh and the things that live in the marsh. And so she's made this almost like a scientific study. In the book, they make much more of that. But she has basically developed this sort of passion of mm. an interest. And she looks at nature in its minutia. And because she's been raised outside of society, her morality, her basically her sense of what is right and wrong is entirely based upon what she's seen in nature. Mm. And so you see her has she's learned the lessons so one of the lessons of a child was like you know how does um, a mother uh, or anyone who has given birth abandon their offspring and then she looks in nature and she tries to find examples of nature does that happen in nature where a female would abandon like the nest or abandon their young and so she's entirely her 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 whole life is shaped by the environment around her so it's yeah it was fascinating i enjoyed it I thought they, they put enough of the book in the film to make it recognisable. Obviously, some scenes you'd think, yeah, I can understand why that wasn't in there and some elements. Like, again, that all the poetry. You can't have poetry. Poetry doesn't mm. work in a film. It just bores you and it distracts you. <laughs> in a book, the book's about words and about language and about the rhythm of words and how they mirror the rhythm of nature, how, yeah, it works, but you can't... You have to let things, visual things... Or, tell that story all right you. okay so before i ask you for star ratings before I ask for star ratings sharon have you ever read captain corelli's mandolin no. <laughs> you haven't all right cool so because captain corelli's mandolin is a celebrated book everybody yells and screams about how you should read this book and they and there was a big fury when they were making a film version of captain corelli's mandolin and it's a bit similar with where the crawdads sing when the, the pe people were talking about this book, and when they said they were making it, because when I heard the title, I was like, who comes up with a title like that? And like, it's a book beforehand, and it's a book that was a bestseller. People talked about how great it was and all that. And I remember watching the, f the film version of Captain Corelli's Mandolin and going, what the heck is all the fuss about? <laughs> I, remember, I remember watching the film version and going, if this properly represents the book, then... I don't see why the book is that great. I'm not going to go for that. And so with this, I'm wondering, is there a similar thing where 
if you watch the film, would you be thinking like having read the having read the book and watched the film? Do you feel like the film represents the book properly, or do you feel like there's just it's just like a lesser art form to tell the same story? Yes, I think in some ways, yes, it is. It's like a shadow self because you don't get that richness of detail. <laughs> you don't get those thoughts and the mm. that sense of isolation and why she has become so absorbed in in her environment. So yeah, mm. it's almost like a shadow version of. Of the book but for all that i think my friend who hadn't read the book she watched it and i could feel her going oh and ah and i don't think she <laughs> guessed because um and a few students she was like you know she's quite responsive so whenever anything happens she's almost like booing the bad guys and sort of like chilling and they go, <laughs> so she and i think she enjoyed it and so three that's almost like a a good indicator that someone who doesn't know the source material can still enjoy it. So, okay. yeah, I thought it wasn't a bad film. It wasn't a bad representation of the book by any means. So, okay. um, yeah. So the good. moral of the story is don't read books. They just ruin films for you. Uh -huh. so, so how many stars would you guys give it? For me, for me, I'm going to give it a, a three star. I mean, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I didn't think it was bad, but it was. I did find it just a little bit too long. I found it a little bit too long. Once I realised what had gone on, I was, you know, it went on a little bit too long for me. But a three star, solid three star. Okay, Sharon? I agree. I would give it a three. Um, I enjoyed it. Again, I thought it was mm. a good adaption. It was an enjoyable film. And there's lots to like about it. But I don't think it was, like, elevated into that sort of, no. you know, higher level of, of art form. Mm. So to me, yeah, but it's certainly solid and enjoyable. So I would give it a three. Quite happy. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll see if I manage to get unchained from my desk and actually go to the cinema to watch this because I was planning to go watch this. Uh, although I've heard people, some, I've heard some people say that to have a, a a go at telling the lyrical thing of the book, this probably should have been a TV series as opposed to a film mm -hmm. because then you have more time to sort of delve into the things that you're talking about, Sharon. Yeah, I think all right. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll give that to Ben Travis of the Empire Podcast. He's the one who said that, and I just sort of like regurgitated that. But, okay, you know how we usually talk about people who get back in touch with us and give us correspondence? I've just yeah. had, you know how last week we reviewed the Sea Beast, or I reviewed the Sea Beast? Yes. That, that review just went up on Twitter, so I put on the, the YouTube review on, on Twitter. And we have somebody called Chris Williams who has liked our review. And that is Chris Williams. I'll, I'll read you what his um, Twitter bio says. It says, directed the Sea Beast for Netflix... Directed on Bolt, Big Hero 6, wow. and Moana. Yeah, storyboarded on Mulan, New Groove on Frozen. I am the voice of Oaken somehow. So essentially, <laughs> the director of the Sea Beast found our review, or has found a review, has popped up on his Twitter feed, and has liked our review. So I'm kind of like, yeah, sure, we were talking about voiceover stuff earlier. I think I'm asking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I'm asking, asking for a job. All right, cool. Because, Cheryl, we know you have to head off soon. You have to head off quickly. And you have been diving into Paramount Plus. Yes. So did you pay for Paramount Plus or did you already have Paramount Plus free? Because I know that we don't like to spend too much money on this podcast. Oh, no. So I got it free with Sky. Ah. Oh, and you, you have... If you're a Sky customer, you've now got Paramount comes with it or something. I certainly okay. didn't pay any money for it. You've just got to add the app to your... You've got to download or link or do something. But yeah, you don't have to pay for it. All right, cool, cool. And I know I know, I, I have access to a Sky account. I'll put it that way. So <laughs> so I'll see, I'll see if I have access to it. But quickly, you've been watching 1883, which is a prequel to a sh TV show called Yellowstone that none of us have watched. But tell us, when you finished watching this, what did you think of this? 
Yes, I mean, to me, it doesn't matter if it's a prequel because it's unlike almost watching it in order. So it's in historical. <laughs> so 1882 is basically like the origin story of the, of a, the Dutton family who feature largely in a Yellowstone. And that's just become well known because Kevin Costner um, sort of is the inspiration behind bringing like the Yellowstone universe or one of the powerhouses um, onto the small screen. And so they've got big cast. So 1883 is basically the origin story of how the Dutton Ranch was founded. And we see the cast of characters basically in 1883. The rail, the transcontinental railroad has been built by this point, but for most poor immigrants and most people who are trying to save a bit of money, they still go overland. And the overland journey from basically the civilized eastern states of America across like the, the Indian territories, as they were called, the unsettled part of America to the, the western coast, where all the prime land is, for people who want to settle and farm, and it's still an arduous and a dangerous journey. This is in 1883, when there's still, um, before the, the really the suppression of like the Native American tribes. Mm. So there's still that element of danger, and there's a lot of lawlessness. It's in the post Civil War years where a lot of that area of that western is quite um, unregulated and, and there's no sort of no civil defense, no civil law there. So basically, you've got this family played by Tim McGraw and his royal wife Faith Hill and their two children, their daughter Elsa and their son, little boy called John, who have decided that yeah, they're going to pack up life. He's post-Civil War, he was in the mm -hmm. army, he was in the army of the Confederacy. have decided that there's no future for them in the, back in the East. They're going to head West and they're going to settle in Oregon. And then they, and then they meet up with a guy played by. Uh, okay, okay, sorry, sorry, Sean. It's just yeah. Sean. I don't know. I'm not sure if you're aware, but it just sounded as if you just started humming, and it sounded like you were trying. Oh, to did hum. I? Sorry, sorry. That's me. Yeah, I've, <laughs> it's because sorry. I got these headphones in. I tend to do that. I can, can, if I take these headphones out, can you? Can I take the headphones out, or is it too echoey? Let's just hear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you started humming, and I, and I was like, "Is that is that the theme tune to 1883?" <laughs> is that? Ah, oh, that's better. I told you, didn't I? I told you these headphones. What did I say when I put them in? I said they're not very good, didn't I? Well, well, is, it, it was weird because I actually I, I like the way you sound on the I like the way you sounded on the headphones, but the yeah. problem was the the problem was just that we could hear every little sort of like. <laughs> oh, <right>. okay. <laughs> okay, so but never mind. Sorry, Sharon. Sharon. Tim McGraw. Faith Hill. Yeah, they um, play the Dutton family, and so they're going to head west on their own. They're going to, like, strike it out on their own. But early on in the film, they encounter some sort of bandits, and then they encounter um, Sam Elliott and his best friend called La Monica, played by La Monica Garrett, who are former Union soldiers, who are, they have been employed to lead a group of mainly German and Eastern European settlers who want to farm in the Oregon Territory. Mm. And so these two group of people meet up and then they basically head west um, across like Texas and then into the Indian territories. And they basically meet every possible obstacle you can meet. There's rivers, there's bandits, there's the wildlife, there's um, the indigenous populations who don't want them there. And yeah. the, the thing is like they are battling against a hostile environment, the land that has not been settled. There's a reason why it hasn't got the cities there, that hasn't got like a large indigenous population there. It's because the land is hostile. It's too hot in the summer, it's too cold in the winter. And there's things that bite you, that sting you, that want to kill you. The rivers are fierce, they flood. So basically this journey west is a bit of a nightmare. And over 10 episodes, you basically see most of the journey through the eyes of the daughter Elsa Dutton, 
uh, her basically her loves her losses and her feelings and how basically the Dutton family crossed the the, the mountains and the deserts and the plains and finally settled in their their own land and that land endures and then you see them again 150 odd years later in Yellowstone so it is this journey of this family and how they basically try to to forge their so, new path so do they do they um do, do they sort of like link it by the end of this to Yellowstone Absolutely, yeah. Okay. There are All clear right. patterns and there's there's the symbolism in it because I've only watched the first couple of episodes of Yellowstone because I watched 1883 first and I thought, oh, I'll go and watch some Yellowstone. <laughs> and you can clearly see, I know obviously I'm, I put the sort of the, the horse before the cart basically yeah. because you know, I saw it in the other way around to most people. So I could immediately see the symbolism from the first episodes that it linked in to everything I had seen in the, the origin story. All right, cool. But if you want, if you, if you want, if you wanted to do them in chronological order, you might want to wait until the Harrison Ford starring one that's in between Yellowstone and eighteen eighty three. So, um, did it's well, I don't know because I've, I've, Yellowstone is like one of those things that people just keep talking about and talking and and I keep thinking it just sounds like watching a family how is this interesting but you're saying that you well you started watching yellowstone so obviously you must have liked 1883 yeah i because um I, i've always liked westerns it's one of those things i've always it's been since my teenage years when i started reading westerns reading westerns i've always liked that western genre and so this is basically like that not the not the revisionist westerns that we sort of had a phase in like the 60s this is going back to almost like trying to find that sort of gritty realism yeah. without being too revisionist about it. So yeah. it is looking at fact that how the settlers, they were vulnerable to being predated upon by nature and by other people. Yeah. That the journey west was a hard one and brutal and it took no prisoners, it showed no mercy. And mm. this shows that, this unflinching, you know, brutality of what it took to fight out or fight you know, to carve yourself a piece of a land that um isn't yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it reminds me uh it, it, it makes me think of there's a short there's the film the ballad of buster scruggs by the coen brothers and there's a short um bit in it there's because there's like six short stories that is told in this one and there's one of them that is very much about like you know the caravan and everything like that and people going across and, and i love what you said put that in my mind but how many stars would you give this i think it's really well done i mean you can't fault sam elliott can, can i just ask Sorry, can I just ask, is it is it action or is it more melodrama? Or is it's it action. a better mixture? It's action. It's there action. Is, there, are, there are elements of it, because my brother watched the whole season as well. And oh. if, if it, there are there, there is romance in it, um, but there is fighting and there is other brutality over um, the West. Oh. So I thought oh. it was done very well done. So I would give it a four. And um, yeah, my brother, because we watch, we watch it together, actually. We watched a couple of episodes together and then we end up watching it separate um, oh, but yeah, we both really quite rated it so i would give it a give it a four i think it's well worth it um yeah the language is you know severe <laughs> violent <laughs> and sort of bloody and brutal but it wasn't gratuitous in any way um so it didn't obviously there were there are scenes of horrible brutality um but yeah we didn't go on it so it wasn't gratuitous but no i thought it's good give it a four and i would oh. recommend it. i think it's certainly worth watching Four stars. That's four stars for 1883. Get your TV series net Western fix. 
with so if, uh, as long as you do not get this oh, oh oh yeah okay obviously this is almost like a dumb question to ask because it would be weird if he didn't have it when he showed up on screen but sam elliot must have his mustache in this right he had his tash in it he had his tash he had his tash. <laughs> that tash could headline a film on its own <laughs> Was... all right yeah, okay. Sorry, so Sean, oh, yeah, I was just going to ask to say you talked about the other series. I mean, I haven't really watched any of the Western series. I should. I think I watched a bit. There's one with um, the, the Dutchman in it or something, or like a big. If I can't remember, that was was that. There's Hell on Wheels. Hell on Wheels was the one that I watched about five that, episodes. Yeah. Of. That oh no, that's yeah. really good. And get better. It gets better as the series goes on. The first yeah. series is like a bit more formulaic. Yeah. Then it becomes a little bit more. Um... Ian McShane's in it, and he, he's like this. Isn't, no, isn't that, isn't, that's Deadwood. Deadwood then, Deadwood. It must yeah, be Deadwood. Yeah. Sorry, Sharon. I didn't yeah, see because, the whole lot, so I only caught like three or four episodes. Because so. because you, when you said a Western series, I was like, well, Deadwood is the big daddy of Western series. That would be and, the one. Ian McShane is like the sheriff or whatever he is. He's the, no, he's a saloon keeper. Oh, right. oh, maybe I'm confused. Maybe I've seen a couple of episodes <laughs> of both and uh, I've got them mixed up because there's so many in that vein. And, You're like, yeah. he had a hat and he was on a horse. He and I was on a horse. Must have been the same show. <laughs> I just remember a giant Swede bloke in it and a train and, and stuff. And, that's and, Helen Wills with a giant Swede. That Swede's. is Helen Wills. So I must have that's seen both and got them confused with each other. Deadwood. So yeah, you've you got two, yeah, a bit convoluted. All right, cool. So Sharon, I believe we have to let you go now. Yes, I have to be off. Yes, you have to be off because you're taking your mum to, what was it? A choir concert. Choir concert, yes. Mm. Well, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Le Sharon has left us. Sharon has gone away. And we now have Sean. What else you saw this week? And you, you have. Well, I'm okay now. This is the thing. I'm trying to decide whether this is you being a discerning viewer and saying, "Ooh, you know what? That looks like it might be good. I should watch this." Or whether this is you finally being taken over and finally being controlled by the Netflix algorithm, and they just shove something in your face and say, "Watch this," and you're like, "Okay." So, which one is it? Okay, well, it's neither actually, Tozin. Basically, oh, yeah. it was someone said to me that, oh, it's a really, really good movie, like on Netflix, like this, um, it's like John Wick and the, the um, Nobody, and it's, it's really good. It's probably, you know, I think it's better than John Wick, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, I better watch that then. And he yep. said, The Grey Man. So I thought, well, I, that, so that's the reason. But yeah, um, it might have been algorithms as well, or it might have just been, you know, so. <laughs> So I thought, well, yeah, because I'm gonna, because I'm see that then, so I can compare it. If it's if it's supposed to be better than John Wick, then well, well, because this is like sure. this is like the big. It's a big Netflix release, and they yeah. put a lot behind it. They put a lot behind it because it, it, they, they've gotten like A list stars. It's directed by the Russo mm -hmm. brothers, who directed Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War. So this is Netflix going big hitters. So tell me about this. Okay, so this is basically the story. There's a. Uh, a prisoner who's who the CIA decide to recruit as like a super assassin and you, you know the basic stories like that and he becomes and then he, he he sort of gets betrayed a little bit so he goes great because he works in the gray area so he's he goes and then they get contractors to try and kill him so he's he has there's lots of people they say it's almost like put a contract out so that everybody wants to, to kill yeah him so it's loads so... and loads of money so far, so a bit sort of like Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne, John Wick, all that sort of yeah, stuff. So, yeah. um, and uh, yeah, so there's basically the film is, you know, they, they're trying to find him. They're trying. Oh, and my little old favorite ladies in this as well, which was a bonus. 
<laughs> okay, all right. Okay, for those of you who are may, maybe have not listened to any other episode of the podcast, Sean has a polit- shall we say he has a politic particular affinity for Anna D. R. Mas. And I mean, let's be honest, that is the same with a lot of people. I have a particular <laughs> affinity for Anna D. R. Mas. A bit like Sharon has a particular affinity for Mads Mickelson. So, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So I mean yes. that was a bonus. That was a bonus and, and she sort of you know, as these movies go, you get people that sort of help and people that yep you know, yep yep people who've seen the john wick one it's it's i mean it's a standard formula it's a standard standard movie of yes you know really sort of almost super super gun toting martial arts all the rest yeah, of yeah, it, yeah, like, yeah. taking on taking on the world you know it's sort yeah. of so, so it's, highly it's stylized highly stylized in this movie you've got just like they are prone to money at this movie because I mean you can see it's just like you know explosions and just about everything um, yeah. that goes on. So yeah, anyway, so you've got um, so he's on the run and then uh, you've got Chris Evans, Chris Evans, who's like the he's he's just the most over the top <laughs> contractory CIA blokey that is just like you know that's it, no holes barred. We're just going to do what we have to do if, if it comes down to to killing children or if it comes down to blowing things up it doesn't matter yeah. you know i mean and it's very very much that way all the way through there's lots of shooting there's lots of action there's lots of explosions there's you know basically there's like 10 groups after him shall we say yeah and four of yeah. them turn up but he manages to you know do yeah. so so yeah it is and it's there's a lot of fighting um there's a couple of things which i think a couple of things in this which i think are probably a little bit over the top because they're in a foreign country and yep. basically you know you know well they, I, I don't really want to spoil it but let's just say they basically destroy a lot of there's a lot of a lot of collateral damage, collateral damage yeah, would, yeah it's... would attract a lot of publicity i mean so much publicity that they wouldn't want the cia well, it, not it, want that, you know but it, that, that's the that, that's the nature of the movie, I guess. Yeah. Well, you see, that's that's the it's one of these things that we've done because I mean I remember that we've talked spoken about some other films, another Netflix film which had the Russo brothers involved, Extraction with Chris Evans. No, not Chris oh, yeah. Evans, the other Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. And yeah. and in that one, it's it's kind of like it's there's in some ways it's almost like a throwback. It's a throwback to like an '80s action movie yeah. where if it's in America and we're doing stuff where you know people are going to pay attention, but if it's anywhere else in the world, they don't care. That's we can it. do whatever. It's like, it's like that film. It's like that film Team America. You know. Oh uh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like, don't worry, don't worry, everybody. Yeah. We save Paris. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, that kind of. You just go around the world and you just there, there is a something in the, the American action movie where if you go to any other place that isn't America, you usually some place in europe you can blow it up and nobody cares yeah. <laughs> so so yeah so that was a little bit and obviously for me you know how i feel about the showdowns at the end you know yep so, yep you so you that, you so that, you, but, you, yeah. you you do not like you think a lot of showdowns at the end are very stupid and you think that they're they rely on people doing things that you wouldn't do if you um, had a break you know especially when it's unnecessary do you know what i mean it's you, you take the all right, no matter how hard you are, I'm, I'm pretty sure you would take the, the sure option, wouldn't you? Then, then Which is shoot them in the chance. head, don't go for a fist fight. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So, I would say with this, it was, I mean, with with John Wick, that was all sort of fairly, like, you know what I mean? There wasn't masses of explosions and lots of destruction. That it was very much man on man, you know, like. Well, well at um, least the first one. 
At least the first one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. Good point. At, at least at least the first one, because when, when you talk about John Wick now, I'm having to reassess my thinking of John Wick and go the first one. Because, because I feel like as those films went along, they became fuzzier and less lean the first one is like lean muscular no fat no nothing it's kind of like we're here for action we're here for stylized stuff and it's you were talking about about it being like you know a bit formulaic and i don't have a problem with the formula if like because if you have a formula but you say but we're going to give you over the top action like the raid the film the raid it's the storyline is these guys are trying to get to the top of a tower so they can get the guy who's in charge that's the end of the story. And then it's the action that makes you go, what the heck am I watching? Yeah, yeah, Same yeah, thing yeah. with John Wick. John Wick, they killed his dog. He wants to get revenge. Is there anything else to the story? No, that's it. Yeah. But then the action that they actually put all around the whole thing. And so and so I think with a formula, if you're going to have a formula, if you're going to be formulating your storytelling, then I'm fine with that as long as you deliver on telling it properly and you deliver on, I guess, in the cases like this, in the action. So yeah. the question is, do they do that? Wow. I, um, some of the time, some of the time. And so, yeah, some, some of the time. But there are a few moments where it's like a bit, you know, especially the, the, the foreign country scene. You know, I'm like, wow, you know, it's like, and it's fun to see and it's great and it's expressive. Um, and yeah, no, I don't. I don't put it in the John Wick or or nobody drama. You know, I mean, it's okay film. Don't get me wrong; it's quite yeah. fun with the, the if, like we say, the standard formula. But there's nothing nothing particularly special about it, except there's a, a lot of money poured into it, and there's a lot of big explosions and yeah, a couple, couple uh, of silly moments. So, but enjoyable film, nevertheless, an enjoyable film. So, sure. I give I, this would take a three star. This one, this is okay. a standard standard formulaic action movie. You know, with a, with a couple of flaws. You see now, Sean, this is this is one of those points where I look at it and I go, you know what Sharon was saying earlier about how um, about how maybe we watch too many things. And so because we watch too many things, it, it's sort of like it's all it's all lessens our enjoyment of some things, because I have a very similar thing to you. Like, for instance, now, if I watch an action movie and let's say there's a car chase or something and let's say somebody or usual okay typical car chase thing it's a scene you're you're driving cars around paris there's a cafe with like you know curbside seating somebody sort of spins the car and then they hit the they hit a table the table flies into a cafe and you can see people sat in the cafe in the window and i'm thinking they've just killed that bystander they've just yeah they just killed that person that is that's okay you're just gonna treat it like it was nothing and I'll find it really hard to concentrate on the rest of the action because I'll be like, you just killed a bystander back there. Yeah, you haven't yeah. addressed the fact you just killed somebody. And maybe it's because I watch too many films. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. But those are sort of things that I... Some people would argue that you need that for an action movie. I don't know whether you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and But I find it really, really hard to ignore <laughs> in action movies mm-hmm. nowadays. I'm just kind of like, you, you just killed a random bystander you you just treated them as background for your explosion and i am not okay with it i am not okay with it (laughs) but it's uh, i mean when i was a kid hey that would have been the best thing ever but anyway right okay so now we get into the final thing we're going to talk about this uh, week and that is better call saul season one now i sent you a message um earlier sean uh, sent you and sharon a message oh and holly who cannot be here with us today because she's a bit ill 
saying that I finally finished watching Better Call Season 1 about seven years after I first started watching Season 1. <laughs> because, because Better Call Saul is the prequel to Breaking Bad, and it focuses on what you'd say is a minor character in Breaking Bad. And uh, who is in in Breaking Bad? He's called Saul Goodman, and his whole thing. He has this TV call TV advertisement goes Better Call Saul, and so they call the TV show Better Call Saul, and it goes back and shows you how he became the character you found him in Breaking Bad. So prequels, no big fan of prequels, and with this, I think I started watching it, and because you know of how Breaking Bad ended, and Breaking Bad ended on such a high and everything, and then mm. this starts off again, and this this starts off, and if I'm going to be honest, it starts off similar to the way Breaking Bad itself starts, where Breaking Bad start, starts in a very sort of, I feel like there would, there would have been a lot of people that would have done to Breaking Bad what I did with Better Call Saul, which is you start watching it the first couple of episodes, and you go, oh, it's a bit slow moving, there isn't really much happening, oh, I don't really know, oh, I got distracted, or something else happened, and next thing you know, it's been two years, and you haven't watched another, you haven't picked up where you left off. And I think that's what happened with Better Call Saul, I kind of thought, well, it's a bit slow, at the beginning, they were releasing them episode by episode on Netflix, got busy with something else, wasn't getting that engaged with the story, went off, and then three years later, I was surprised and shocked to find that the show was still going, because I was like, I was like, what? What I what I saw in the first season, how is it how is the show still going? And not only was the show still going, but the show was being talked about as in people were saying this is one of the best things on TV. It's one of the most cinematic things on TV. It's something that you need to get back you need to watch. They need to throw all the awards at it. And I was like, Really? And now it's on season seven no, season six. So it's gone to season six. It's like it's final the final season um of, of the show. Everybody's talking about and people the the levels of chat about this have gotten similar to the levels of chat that Breaking Bad had at the end. So I went, you know, I really don't want to. This it, uh, it reminds me of when I was reading Lord of the Rings. Have you ever read Have you ever read the book Lord of the Rings, Sean? I have. Yes, I have actually. Yeah, yeah. So which the, is which is why the film. Yeah, go on, go on. Sorry, Sam. I'll let you finish. Oh, which, which is which, oh, is this going to be a book versus film thing again? No, because I think the films, I know there's a few different bits and a bit left out and that, but I think the films are really good compared to the, I, I this, think... is what we say about, this is what we say about Cat, when you read the book, you get a mental picture of the characters. Yeah. And I thought what was so good about Lord of the Rings is the characters that I had the mental picture of. Were exactly were, what you saw on screen. very, very similar. They weren't like, so yeah. everybody must have, that's why they're so popular because I've read a book, not many, and then I've seen the film and I've, I've, I've still got the, the character of the, I don't yeah. read too many books now, but and I've done it vice versa, where I've seen a film and then read a book, and the the character in the book is how you picture him in the film instead of yeah. And I would agree with you with that on Lord of the Rings. I would think that I think it's probably one of the best adaptations we've ever seen of a book because yeah. it, it. I feel they nailed it. However, my point of this, when it comes to Better Call Saul, is when I was reading the first Lord of the Rings book, I got to this bit, which is the Council of Elrond, in the yeah. middle of where where they're all deciding what they're going to do, and this goes on for ages. And I remember I got there, and it was like a break. It was like hitting a brick wall. I couldn't get past it. I put the book down. I try and pick it up, and I put the book down for a year. And I did not pick up Lord of the Rings for a year. Picked it up again, and I just thought, I'm going to skip the Council of Elrond, jump forward a couple of pages, and then just zip through the rest of the whole saga. Mm. And I feel like that's what happened with me with Better Call Saul. I got wow. to a bit where it just got to, I was like, where are we going with this? This I'm, I don't know where we're going. We're too, because this is a very poetic show. It's a very lyrical show. It's a very kind of, they will show you a shot of something, and they will not explain why that thing is important. 
And then you only find out as things unfold and unfold that you realize, oh, that's what they're doing with this thing. And I think uh, I think it's really, really well done. It's so um, I picked it up again. And I have to be honest with you, Sean, I'm glad I picked it up again. Because okay. even the first the first season, where I, I know I have five more seasons to get to. I doubt I'm going to catch up with them before the finale happens. But it's the where it goes and the story that it tells and the sort of the relationship he has with his brother is really, really well done. And it's not just him. They also show it. There's another character in Breaking Bad called Mike, who is a brilliant character. And for me, for me, he has the greatest final line of any character in any TV series that I think I've ever seen. His final line that he has in Breaking Bad, the way he delivers it before he saw, because the girls are kind of like, bye, I'm out, out of the season. I love Mike's final line. And then, so you have Mike and you get to see a little bit of background for Mike. And the brilliant thing that they've done is that in Breaking Bad, these guys were so minor. They were minor, but they were intriguing. Every time they showed up on screen, you were like, I want to know more about that person. What, what's up with that person? And they, they use them in the story in Breaking Bad. But so now that they've gone back and they're giving, they're filling in their background, it doesn't feel like, you know, let's say when you saw Solo, a Star Wars story, and they're trying to sort of give you a, a, an excuse for every little thing that, oh, this is how he got his blaster. This is how he got the Millennium Falcon. It doesn't feel like it's myth busting. It feels like it's just adding richness to it. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a brilliant, brilliant show. I think it's, I'll give it a four out of five for the season, for season one. That's good, yeah. I mean, I've, I haven't seen, I've never watched Breaking Bad, so I don't, everybody said it's, it's really, really good, but I've never seen it. I mean, yeah, so I, I, I can't really, really comment. Uh, I mean, do they correspond with each other or could Saul be just like, you could watch you, that? And you could watch Better Call Saul, yeah. never having seen Breaking Bad, and you wouldn't, right. you would, you would still enjoy it. Because it's it's only later on that they start trying to link the two together. Right, There's some okay. characters who show up in like, you know, the third or fourth episode of Better Call Saul mm. that, that are in Breaking Bad. And I remember when they showed it, but you're like, oh, Tuco, what's Tuco doing here? And, you, and it's, it's funny because, because the whole thing about Breaking Bad was about change and about how people change over time and how people start mm. off as one thing. And they, they always said that they, were, they wanted to take Mr. Chips and turn him into Scarface. And that was the whole thing. And so when you see a character that's in Breaking Bad in Better Call Saul, they are very different. And mm -hmm. it's almost about how does this person become that person? And I think that's what Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, who made this, that's what they've, they've, they've figured out that you don't just want to see the same character and, oh, he just, oh, this is how he got that scar on his chin or something like that. It's about, it, there is a definite, and even in this, even with the character of, because when you meet Saul in this show, he's, he's not called Saul, he's called Jimmy McGill. And it's about how Jimmy McGill becomes Saul Goodman. And even there's, and they have all these moments where you think, oh, that's where it could have gone left or right. And it's very realistic, the motivations of the characters and what mm -hmm. actually happens with it. But that's all I would say. I would recommend it. And if you wanted to pick one of them, but I would say with either Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, beware that there are some slow moving bits at the beginning. Right. Yeah. But... It's, it's worth it, the long in the long long game it's okay it, it, uh, that mm. what season one by the time i got to season one end of season one i was like okay okay cool now mm. now i see it and I, that was a bit of me that wish that wishes i kept watching it but yeah that's it so mm. that is us done for the for this week we have four stars for better call soul us done for the week and sean it's not really worth it is it who won it because i said about <laughs> probably not this time probably not because it's like one against one again oh no yeah one against one, one against, against three. The war. Yeah, I think it was just yeah. overwhelmed with. So, 
Let's just yeah. call it. Let's call it quits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's not even let's not even give it give a winner this week. But we have to say, cinema. Okay, seeing. See, I'm feeling emboldened here. I'm feeling emboldened because we've just had uh, an actual director of an actual Hollywood film of yeah. several actual Hollywood films who has liked something we've said on Twitter. So I'm feeling emboldened, and I'm feeling like you know the industry is listening to us. I'll say we call this cin- podcast Never Professor Cinema. But we really, really love cinema. We love going to the cinema. We love watching things. And we love there being new things to watch mm. in the cinema. Yes. So if you could please fix it. And I know that there's been a Marvel movie that's been released. But that was like three weeks ago. That was three weeks ago. And it's been a while. Really something new. I think the only thing they got next week is Bullet Train, isn't it? Well, yeah, Bullet Train. And you mentioned something else that you were thinking about. Maybe, oh, no, the Railroad Children is already, already here. Yeah, which, which is already out. So Yeah, so it's, I, it just... It just where are all not, the films? Not a lot, is there? Oh no, I tell a lie. There's the fortieth, must be the fortieth anniversary edition of Robocop, which I've booked for. <sighs> Robocop so is forty years old. Well, yeah, I think it must be eighty-two. Yeah, nineteen eighty-two. No, Robocop. Oh, what? the original no, Robocop. So Ro- Robocop been, was not that early. That's oh. been that's been booked and and ready to go. Perhaps it wasn't, but. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. 1987. 1987, then. So what would it be? 25 years. 25 years? 1987. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, yeah. it'll be longer than that. It'll be longer than that. What will it be, then? 80, 30, 35. 20, 35 years, yeah. 35 so I knew years. it was something, but I just saw it there, and I so, thought, yeah, that's so a, no, no that's a go. There's a, there's a whole bunch of us going to that. <laughs> good God. Robocop is almost 40 years old. <laughs> oh okay okay so obviously i'm gonna go lie down somewhere and think about my life and think about where all the time has gone when robocop when robocop an upstart of a film is now nearly 40 years old oh good lord oh oh okay i'm also gonna go see why that baby's crying (laughs) but but anyway until next week it's a goodbye from me yep and it's a goodbye from me and if sharon was still here would be a good eye for her too and also a goodbye and get well soon to holly um, Thanks, thank you very folks. much for joining us. See you later, man. See you, mate.